You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 771 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday morning. And today's episode is brought to you by the good folks at rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. Today's show features an interview that I did with the great Tyler Jones of ATL on 29. I know he's a fan favorite, so everybody will enjoy that conversation. We had a lot of fun, as always, and that is coming momentarily. Before we get to Tyler, though, the, the final exit interview that the Hawks uh, are holding as a team from the 2019-20 season uh, was with Kevin Herter on Monday afternoon. So I want to give you the highlights of that. Nothing uh, hugely groundbreaking here, but still... In an effort to be uh, holistic, I talked about all the other exit interviews, so here we are with Kevin Herter. Um, he actually attended the March on Georgia rally in Atlanta on Monday. Um, I said on yesterday's show that Lloyd Pierce, Lloyd Pierce was expected to speak, and he actually did speak at that rally, but Herter was one of the Hawks personnel that joined with Lloyd, um, and he said it was great for him to get out there and give his support, and hopefully a lot will be changing. Uh, that, those were his words that he said about um, attending that uh, rally on Monday. Also, he, a part of the answer that he gave was that, quote, our message as the Hawks is that we want to show we're united with this and we're there for the city. End quote. I thought Herter was uh, really uh, smart in the way that he talked about it today as well. And uh, for more more on that, you can uh, check out Easter Hoops and Twitter, all those some things. But there you go on that. Um, by the way, in addition to Herter, um, John Collins, Vince Carter, Bruno Fernando, Damian Jones, some of the assistant coaches were also there uh, in support of Lloyd. And uh, you can see um, what Lloyd had to say. I know it made all the TV rounds. This evening on the evening news, I saw a little bit of that in terms of clips, as well as uh, Sarah Spencer of the AJC was there. Lots of coverage if you're looking for uh, that, and we rounded up a little bit at peachtreehoops.com, so if you want to check that out, go ahead and do that. Um, as for what Herter was saying basketball-wise, he was actually asked about the knee injury that he had at the start of this season, and if that set him back at all. He did acknowledge that he, that, it, that it, quote, put him behind, end quote, for the first half of the season, and he didn't feel right for uh, didn't feel right for about 20 games. That was what he said after the delayed start that he got with a knee injury. He also said that he, didn't, he, did, he did not feel quite as explosive as uh, during his first season in the NBA and getting to the rim and exploding past people, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. but um, he did say that he was proud to uh, have stayed on the floor for every game after his shoulder injury that he suffered in Denver early on in the year. He, he played every game after that. He was proud of that. He was asked to follow up about whether he'd be more aggressive and explosive in year three or if that was a, a, a focus for him going into this offseason. He said that he and the doctors have found out the reason why the knee was bucking him. Uh, he didn't go into huge detail on that, but that's, that's a good sign, I think. He also said he changed his diet, his workout routines, his recovery, his treatment, et cetera, et cetera. And Herder says that this is the healthiest that he's been since before he was drafted, so that, that's pretty noteworthy, I think. Also, he specifically mentioned the fact that he's jumping more explosively now than he was before the draft, so keep an eye on that. You know, it could be just, you know, <laughs> typical stuff, but Given that Herder has had some injury nicks along the way, um, that's not a bad, it's not the worst thing in the world that he would uh, be in the best shape of his uh, life, so to speak. Um, he also had strongly, think, strongly positive things to say about Lloyd Pierce and his leadership overall, not just now, but immediately when Herder arrived, um, right after Pierce was hired as well. 
He said that Pierce was early in pushing him and the team to be active in the community. He also referenced Pierce as a great role model. Those were his words, in part because, quote, he practices what he preaches, end quote. Uh, Basketball-wise, he credited Pierce for letting him play more in the pick-and-roll this year and generally having him uh, handle the ball in ball screen situations, et cetera, et cetera. He was asked about the uh, sort of the shooter-only role that he's been uh, given in certain certain circles. I've talked about that ad nauseum, so I'm not going to go into it here. It was always silly, and uh, it's still silly now, to be sure. I could I can go through the whole thing, but I won't just to save you guys the the time of going through the entire thirty minute uh, Kevin Herter discussion on Monday. But the last thing that I'll mention is that he also talked about getting out of the rebuild process as a team and just sort of being transitioning into that being more competitive and pushing towards the playoffs this next season. That's been a common theme throughout these across the team. He also talked about the fact that uh, improvement defensively is, of course, really, really key to what the Hawks are trying to do, taking more pride on the end of the floor as a team and changing the mentality overall. He said, quote, winning teams play defense, end quote. And he also said that he thinks the team is capable of uh, more on, on the defensive end of the floor if they improve their consistency. So nothing groundbreaking there, but I wanted to at least give a little bit of a roundup on what Kevin Herter had to say. And his excellent interview, and overall, I think it was kind of what you would expect, but at the same time, uh, pretty upbeat when it came to, uh, just for the record, if you missed any of the previous shows, um, there was the first excellent interview was Lloyd Pierce and Travis Schlenk together, and sort of that leadership one that you normally would have before the season and actually after the season ends, so nothing out of the ordinary there. And then it was the core five plus Clint Capella, and I made fun of the core five distinction, but it was the six players that are really the core pieces on the Hawks roster. Uh, I, I, I might just start calling it the core six to make everybody mad. But um, yeah, the six core pieces were the ones that were uh, interviewed on, on the exit interviews via Zoom. They did not have discussions with anybody else. You know, the free agents that are out there, no big surprise. They're kind of let, 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 let those guys go at this point in time. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that, that they didn't have an exit interview for guys like Bruno Fernando or Dwayne Dedman or Brandon Goodwin, but still, um, I think there's definitely a core six and then everybody else with the way this is all going to be going in terms of the roster, etc. So not a huge surprise there. And if you missed any of the previous discussions that I had and sort of the roundups, you can go back and listen to those on previous podcasts, as you always should be. Okay, before we get to Tyler, a word from our sponsor on today's podcast, and it's the good folks at rockauto.com, which is a family business serving auto parts customers for online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily get-around driver, rockauto.com has everything that you need in just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. One of the reasons people choose to repair and maintain their own cars is to save money that can be used on other important things. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? Chain stores have different price tiers for pro mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but at rockauto.com, prices are the same for everybody, and they're always the lowest prices possible. The rockauto.com catalog is also remarkably easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands, the specs, and the prices that you prefer. rockauto.com is for everybody. It does not require membership or an account login. And again, best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. So why would you spend up to twice as much for the same exact parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck from there right locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you over there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with the great Tyler Jones. Tyler, thank you as always for joining me, my friend. How are you on this Monday evening? Uh, it's Monday? It is. I can't tell the days. I can't tell the days, man. Uh, I'm doing about as poorly as you can possibly do it <laughs> while also, you know, being okay. Like, I don't know. I looked in the mirror today. I saw multiple bags under my eyes. I'm like, Oof. this year is aging me. 
like I I feel like I've aged five years and three months. It's this has been rough. Like I <laughs> it's a tough time for a lot of people. And I'm you know, I'm doing I'm doing well in my career. Well, I'm not I'm not sure I would put it like that, but I'm doing I'm doing well <laughs> enough, right? But I you know if you have any empathetic bone in your body, regardless of what race, creed, or color that you are, like first and foremost, a lot of people are out of work due to corona. And that just that failure by our you know, that failure that's that's been going on, it's just, it just eats at me. And then now, you know, the protests, you know, I some days I'm hopeful, some days I'm dreading going to sleep, hoping nothing bad happens. So it's just been it's been this type of roller coaster. Um but I'm glad to be talking with you, Brad, because I enjoy our conversations and I hope I you know, I hope hope people will like this one too. Yeah, I uh, appreciate you coming on, and uh, I'm with you. Everybody's just trying to hang in there at the moment, and uh, yeah, glad we can talk about some basketball today. Um, before we get into that, I wanted to ask you, because you know the Hawks have been pretty uh, pretty prominent, I think, in the city, including earlier today. You had Lloyd talking um, at a rally downtown, uh, a bunch of players there as well, as well with him, John Collins, Kevin Herter. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You have statements before from Tony Wrestler and Steve Coonan's been out there and lots of and Trey Young's been doing stuff. There's been uh, I, I think I've I've said a couple of different times that I think the Hawks have done very very well in terms of their uh, sort of leadership role in the community. But uh, I want to know how you think about how the the team has handled um, the protests and their messaging and all that stuff. Yeah, I think they you know they're handling as well as any C corporation. Uh, can po- you know <laughs> can possibly handle these types yep. of situations um actually you know what's funny <laughs> uh i mean i'm 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 one i'm i'm really glad that you know everybody is doing what they can right from the on the on the from the house coaches to the players um I, I really implore to, that you know wrestler sticks to what he said in that statement in particular. I I, I do want to bring this up uh, that um, I really did appreciate that the Hawks were going to make an initiative to uh, try to you know get people registered to vote. I'm like that's that's a public good that I feel like all sports franchises should be doing, especially if they take tax breaks from the community. Like that should be the least, that should be the least. Like I shouldn't be, I don't, I don't feel like that's something praiseworthy. Yep. I feel like that's something they, they should have always been doing because again, like, even though, you know, wrestler has put in a lot of, of his own money at the same time, you know, the, a lot of these big businesses do not pay state or federal taxes. Well, and they and, and they've got money. I mean, the Hawks have gotten money from Atlanta. They got plenty. They got plenty. Don't 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 let the books yes. that they're always in the red and they're getting revenue sharing lie to you. They they've got plenty of money. Um, <laughs> and so I I really I'm I wanna I wanna hold every you know on that side the C level corporation side accountable for what they've been saying these past couple of weeks with their actions. Um, they saw they saw what happened um, on on the election last Tuesday. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm hoping that they do their part. 
Oh, and man. Lloyd, by the way, Lloyd said today, I, I think you probably saw this, but Lloyd said uh, into a microphone today downtown that they're uh, working on working on using State Farm Arena as a, as a polling place, um, which would be helpful for all the parties involved. Because that, that's a very, very big building that could use uh, yeah. very effectively for that. Yeah. And, you know, Lloyd, and this is where the funding comes in. I was like, I really hope Lloyd Pierce coached this season as if he doesn't need this job. Cause he really doesn't like he could be doing something else other than coaching basketball um, in terms of being a leader, whether it be political or just, you know, being an activist. If he, if he wants, I feel like he, he has very strong opinions and he, he tends to act on them. And I, uh, you know, as a, as a fan of the team, I appreciate that Lloyd Pierce is leading in the front on that regard. But again, like, I kind of hope this season, you know, he holds, you know, he kind of, kind of, he, he's been, the, he's been the nice guy, right? You know, Lloyd's been pretty nice, pretty chill to his players. I hope he, hope he brings a little bit of, all right, Trey, you really going to take a 30 footer <laughs> with 19 seconds on the shot clock and you airballed it. How about you sit on the bench? You know, just, just, you know, and it's one of them times that, trade cries to the media, you know, through the back channel, blah, 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 that good crap. And, like, and Lloyd just be like, I don't need this job. And because he kind of has job security now. He kind of found a way to get him some job security by being a man of principle where, and I mean, this is not funny, but this is, this is just a benefit of him because he's, because he's so out front and so out there, regardless of what happens with the Hawks season, they're not about to fire this man. He, if anything, Lloyd gonna leave to go run for governor or something like of some <laughs> of some state that needs him. Like it, it, so, I, I I tweeted earlier, er, way a couple weeks ago, that the Hawks are lucky to have him, and I, and I really do feel that, and and that goes beyond the excellent coach that I feel that he is, even with you know some of the flaws that he does have, like all coaches do. But I, but I genuinely do feel that as a franchise, the Hawks are lucky to have him, and the Hawks. Just one more point as a, yeah. you know, business business major who, you know, understands a bit about business culture because that was part of how I graduated and got my degrees. Um, it's good to see the Hawks have such a culture where a 20, I, I should have looked up her name, a 25-year-old recent grad kind of spurred this movement for them to really get Lori Pierce going. Um, apologies that I don't have her name because I don't have my computer up. But uh, you know, she, you know, fresh out of college, uh, somebody like that, you know, sticks their neck out, and with no repercussions, they're going to get fired because that's the type of environment that uh, wrestler Schlank, Coonan, Lloyd, even Lori Pierce included. That's the type of work culture environment that they have there, where somebody on the business side who's not an essential personnel can speak their opinions and not receive backlash for it. Even if it hurts, you know, potentially their manager or even their owners, how, how they feel. So I, I, I really appreciate, you know, the Hawks have a, a good culture. Cause that's not as somebody who's working in a corporation right now that won't be named on this podcast, you know, that's not <laughs> always the case. Like you can't just, can't yep. just speak your mind. 
No, I, I agree. And that, that, that's a really, it's a really good example. And I, I hope that that's how it is all the time with the Hawks. And I, I think, uh, granted, we, you know, we, even someone like, like me who is relatively close to it, I'm never going to know everything about how an organization operates. So I, I try not to go too effusive, but from what we know and what I've even heard that hasn't been reported, it's been very good in terms of that and the way that Steve Coonan's sort of leading the, uh, the business side. And, um, it's a pretty, uh, positive culture from all things that I can, take away so it's pretty cool uh and i think you know not that i'm a i wouldn't call myself a fan anymore at this point in time but as someone who is from the city and has you know followed the team for a long time um let's just say let's say let's say things are a lot better than they were uh you know a decade ago with the hawks um organizationally in terms of not, not even just the encore product just the uh the organization itself so there you go Oof. Oof. boy it's uh that's a, now that's a podcast yes it is and we'll that's one we'll save for later two two <laughs> Two regimes, you know, basically, you know, so. Two um, regimes different. operating at the same time within the same yeah. franchise. Quite, quite, a, quite a mess. If you uh, were not old enough for that, go back and go back and check it out if you want to about the ASG. Okay, uh, let's talk about some basketball. Um, and we, we don't really have an agenda. I just, uh, when, when you come on, we just like to catch up a little bit. And uh, I'm going to make you save the, the draft stuff for a few minutes i know we're, we're gonna we're gonna get to that that'll be the whole second half or more of this podcast um a did you see or hear anything about these exit interviews this week and b do you have any takes that you have not gotten off about the current members of the roster that you want to share on this podcast because we, we are we are gonna do the draft i promise we're getting there but anything before we get there i got so many takes brad you always have takes i know this um i guess let's start with the you know, with the franchise cornerstone, Trey Young, who, um, you know, I, I just want to harp on something that that we're probably going to touch on later, was that the thing that he's looking to improve on is his conditioning. Yep. Uh, so that he can play on both both ends 100% at all times, which that's not going to happen. I mean, that's, that's impossible. But, you know, it's nice that he says that. And I also don't think conditioning was the problem with him. Um, physical conditioning that is. I thought he was in, you know, pretty great shape. I don't, you know, I I don't think that's the problem. I think the no. problem was that he had too much on his plate on offense. Uh, too much mental, mentally on his plate on offense, where he's just simply doing too much. Every possession is a pick and roll. Every possession he's setting the table. Every possession has to have, you know has the ball in his hands doing something, coordinating something instead of, you know, maybe, you know, because he has to, because if he doesn't, the Hawks just aren't going to get efficient looks, except if they do this one thing, which we talked about the previous podcast, which was feature John Collins, which they didn't start doing till the end of the season. But that's, you know, we talked about, if you want to know about, how I feel about how the Hawks should be using John. You can listen to our last podcast way back in April, but yeah. Just in and, general, by, and by the way, John uh, talked about playmaking as his, uh, as his number one thing he wants to uh, work on and look at, look, look to do more next year. So I, I think you heard that podcast. Well, yeah. And <laughs> I mean, it's like, I don't know, man, you just watch some games of John. Like I, I know we're talking about Trey, but you know, I, I was just re-watching some of his clips against the Celtics, where Trey Young, I think, was either sick or hurt. I don't remember. Uh, but he didn't he wasn't playing. 
and the Hawks just went to John Collins all the time, and it worked because the Celtics didn't have an answer for him. And there are a lot of teams that don't have an answer for John Collins, particularly on the block or in the mid post or, you know, really anywhere on the floor. Like, you see so many, I don't know, you see people interested to see if John Collins and Clint Capella work together. Um, those who have talked about, you know, John wants to work on his lob game and Capella, both of them think it'll work because they're good basketball players, which, you know, makes sense. But I think the I think the biggest biggest thing with this team is they that as a organization they need to just be comfortable with John. You know, possibly making mistakes, being allowed to make mistakes, um, being allowed to grow as a basketball player instead of just being purely as a finisher. You know, you utilize him more as a initiator, as a creator, if for no other reason with the starting unit to take the mental load off Trey Young because I do feel what I feel what happens with Trey Young on defense I think his biggest weakness isn't his size is that he shuts his brain off too often when he's playing defense where he the ball uh, changes hands he's on defense he turns his brain off he's not thinking he's not processing information he's not being attentive particularly in man uh, and you know it looks really bad and he plays smaller and weaker than he actually is because, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's more than just physically bringing the effort. It's mentally bringing the effort. That's the harder thing. It's hard to mentally be locked in on both ends all the time. But if this team wants to be good, if, if they want to be better than just, you know, a 6 seven seed in the Eastern Conference, because they can do that. Like, they could have done that this year if they signed Robin Lopez. Uh, in free agency, like they'd have been a seven seed, but like that's that's not good enough. They should be aiming to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference at least, and to do that will require, you know, what they've all talked about, which is we gotta improve on defense. But really, what they need to improve on is their mental fortitude on defense. And that's kind of be. honestly, they've kind of alluded to that a little bit. Not no one's said it as plainly as you are, and I, I agree with you. But a lot of the conversations in these exit interviews um, about from all these guys has been like talking about con- you know consistency and the word effort's been used and focus and stuff like that defensively and um, you know I think it can be both overstated and understated when talking about defense because you know there's the whole crowd that talks about how defense is all about effort which we talked about before that's silly because it's not true um, but you need effort. <laughs> you still have to have it. You still have. You still have to actually have guys playing hard. Um, there is basketball IQ involved. There is execution involved. But uh, effort has not always. It's not just Trey either. But um, effort's been a problem at times defensively for these young guys. So and effort is a prop was a problem last year, which nobody was going to say because they didn't have the talent. Like they didn't have right more than. You have to have Brad for most (laughs) for most of the season. They had what five NBA players on the on the team at one time. Just oh yeah, I mean there there was they didn't have a whole rotation of them, especially and then talking about defensive players. I mean, yeah, between the lack of depth overall and the lack of uh, even within that depth, you have a few you had a few guys who were obviously well below average defenders at the NBA level. So the combination of those two things, like it's, uh, it got ugly in a hurry. And I think, 
there's a lot of ways, you know, defense was, it was a very obvious question people were asking, and I don't blame anybody for asking it on these exit interviews, which is like, how do we, how do you fix the defense was basically a question that every single person was asked. And they all gave pretty similar answers. It's kind of this combination of getting better talent and focusing better and executing better. And usually young guys. And having, having Clint Capella. Yeah, I mean, and they, and they mentioned that too. I mean, all the answers did talk about Capella. I mean, just having, not, not even just Capella, like having a real NBA player at center for 48 minutes per night is And here's the, here, here's the thing about, this is the take. You know, Capella has the talent to be a defensive player of the year caliber big man, right? I don't think that's out of the question. That's probably a little more aggressive than I would be, but is I it? think, it, I mean, I he's mean, definitely he's got, good. Right, he's got the he's he's got all the physical tools, right? And he's had stretches where he's absolutely dominated. Yes, on both ends of the floor as a basketball player in big moments. Uh, so I'm interested to see if he, Capella could be even better as a defender. Um, knowing well, and, that, and, I, and I wonder about scheme stuff. I mean, not to get too deep into it, but you know the fact that he's coming into a situation now where it's not as cut and dry. I know, you know, they have to scheme around Trey, but the Rockets only did certain things. And I wonder if Lloyd and company will mix it up a lot more. For instance, like you mentioned the zone before with Trey, um, I think the Hawks are going to be a little bit more experimental than the Rockets were for obvious reasons. You know, the Rockets were a good team and they knew kind of what worked for them. And he was, and he even referred to this in his exit interview, like he was kind of just not locked in, like that's almost too strong. But just the fact that he was, he did, he, he played his role and he knew what, it, he knew what, he knew what they wanted from him on both ends of the floor. And he kind of just did it. And I wonder if the Hawks will push him or allow him or some combination of both to do a little bit more on both ends, just, you know, different scheme stuff defensively. And it'll depend on personnel too. Like if, you know, for instance, if Trey's off the court, they might just switch everything. They not they they actually might have the personnel this time around to do that in a way that they really couldn't last year, or they might switch two through five if Trey is on the court because obviously you don't want Trey switching some stuff, but everybody else they have pretty much profiles as someone you could at least pretend to switch with on their roster at the moment. So, and I, we'll see. You know, switching. I'm just saying that, that's just one idea. I'm not saying they're going to do that a lot. No, I'm no, just, I, I'm with you. I'm with you, but I, you know, I think switching being in the end all be all. I think. It's not like it's it kind of it's it's a it's a circular. The NBA is, is kind of circular. Where now, every, I mean, the Bucks broke defensive metrics simply by having Brook Lopez stay in the paint and not care about shooting. Well, right? you, like, you know what the switching thing is really? It's just that you know, for instance, the teams that were making the deep runs. Of course, headlined by the Warriors were playing that defense because they had. The Warriors, in particular, had a you know generational defender in Draymond Green that unlocked all this stuff, and they had all these great supporting wings that were really good. Um, they they had personnel that is not really repl- replicable, well, even though everyone wants is, to be. The thing is, also, but more importantly, on offense, they had shooting out the wazoo. Oh yeah, of course, you had too. to switch, or you know, the, the Warriors or the Rockets were just going to kill you. And it became every. It became this. And I, I'm I'm guilty of this too. It became this thing where, if you weren't that, uh, you get criticized for not being able to do that. Like, and it kind of goes in. It goes in cycles, like you were saying before. You know, not everybody so, can like, build it, that roster. It's not the Jazz. It, the Jazz consistently will get Trounce in the playoffs. 
people would look at the one game where the Rockets beat them up on offense. But really, overall, the Jazz defense was good. The bigger issue with the Jazz was that they, they couldn't, couldn't score. score in the playoffs. Yep. And, like, that's, that, that's, that's the mind game that's going on where it's really like, yeah, the, you know, XT, they're giving up – the Bucks are giving up, you know, looks to the Raptors. The Bucks didn't lose to the Raptors because they, you know, Brooke Lopez was under the basket. They lost to the Raptors because they couldn't score in the half court. And, like – yeah, the Raptors it's, just took everybody away defensively the entire yeah, time. Yeah, and so that's why they won. <laughs> I mean, Kawhi's really good too, but yeah, yeah, but that, but that, but you know, that's the, that's really like you need both. You really do need both. You need defense as a baseline. That's what they're talking about. Like defense is the great equalizer. And this is where my point with Capella. I feel like Capella has more to offer as a defender. I think he can be, like to me, there's no reason why he shouldn't be one of the best defenders in the NBA. Um, because I feel like now that Capella's on a team where they need him, the Rockets they didn't need him. You know, they and they also the the Hawks also have, um, I don't want to say size because it's not all size, but Capella was never playing with a traditional size power forward like Colin, like playing next to John Collins. Not that you know we talked about Collins' defense ad nauseum. He's better than he used to be for sure, but just the simple like size and physicality of that potential front line defensively, even if you accept Collins having some weaknesses, he's still, you know, six, nine and really athletic and strong in a way that the, that, that the fours next to click Capella have never been in his prime. Like he's played with the pure four out offense in Houston and it's worked, but they don't have, they've never had that physicality. Like if you, if you throw a lineup out there right now with, you know, forget about Trey for a second, if you throw a lineup out there defensively that has DeAndre Hunter at the three, John Collins at the four, click up at the five, you're really big, like really big for the modern NBA and athletic still. Like it's not like you're and giving you, that away. And you can beat a lot of teams just by being bigger. As yeah. the Hawks have learned throughout this season, that them being undersized, undersized in the sense that they had to have John Collins at the five in order to do anything. To score. <laughs> yeah. Unless like, it was Damian just, Jones, and then you, and then you gave it all back. So it, it was uh, yeah. The, the trade offs um, when they were good on offense this year, it was essentially either John was at the five, or it was Damian at the five. And if it was Damian at the five, they couldn't stop anybody, and they yeah. and the numbers were comical. At least with Collins at the five, they could they could play a system where yeah, it was still offense, it was still offense driven, and they were not going to be great defensively, and they never will be playing that small. But at the same time, they were good enough on offense, and they weren't so bad on defense that it was absolutely untenable. And that's the balance you're trying to find. But now with Capella, you know, for the first time really in this regime, you you could you can conceivably build a a five a five some or maybe a couple different versions of that five that are palatable on both ends of the floor. That's really what it comes down to. It has not, they've not been able to do that for three years now to really build a roster that has lineups that can play both ends of the floor. And now you have you have the center. It's not all Capella, obviously. Trey's a lot of it. John's a lot of it. But for the first time, you have a legitimate starting two-way center. Um, obviously, Deadman was that two years ago, but they didn't have everything else on the table. Now you kind of have the combination of wing, of wing talent, the, obviously the primary creator at, at the point guard spot, and this two-way big and Capella and with Collins kind of unlocking a lot of different things too. So the talent level is important and the flexibility is now there that they just haven't had. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, that, that been, 
even two years, like two years ago, Denman wasn't the caliber athlete that Kamara no, is. He's not. And he's this, not. He's this, not, good, not, 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 not as good of a player. He was. He was very, very useful, and I thought he was underrated that season. But even that, he's not as good as Capella. It's that's not. And that's I, not a thing. And I, I'm just like to me, I'm just interested to see if they can unlock more from Capella on both ends, but really on defense because I I think. I don't think Capella. I think Capella has been okay with just being a cog in the machine that is James Harden, which you know works. But now, like to me, I feel like Capella is now the, Capella is now no longer the young guy. He's the old man in the room, even though he's not old. He's only twenty six, uh, and you know his teammates for the first time in his career are going to be relying on him. In Houston, they weren't really relying on him. Like he was a luxury. Capella was a luxury item. Like the Rockets didn't really need him, and that's why they ultimately traded him because they didn't need him to win basketball well, games. And, and, and as soon the as they got Russell, and as soon as they got Russell Westbrook, they couldn't they couldn't have him on the court. Well, yeah, that too. That too. <laughs> that's really what it was. Uh, but yeah, I'm with you on all of that. I'm because even even when they were at their best, there were times when Capella wasn't on the court and they were going with PJ Tucker at, five, at the five and playing that super that, that super small style and yeah, um, and they they changed they changed their offensive philosophy to be heavy isolation and moved away from pick and roll which was what Capella was best at as a role man where now Capella is just hanging out in the dunking spot so even before they traded for Westbrook like Capella's value on the Rockets was neutered now he's going to the Hawks now he's going to the Hawks where Trey Young pick and roll and everybody else loves pick and roll now you've heard me multiple times say they shouldn't just be doing that but you know it's it's going to be a feature of the, like Capella's going to be featured in some ca- capacity on offense. And I think, you know, maybe that, and, you know, Capella wants to be known, like, this is a chance for Capella to be known as the guy on defense, to be known as one of the best defenders in the NBA if he could turn this Hawks defense around. Because I do, I do, I don't think, I do think the talent is there for this team to be good defensively, depending on what they do in the offseason. And who they draft, but the, I think the the fundamental talent from the quote unquote core six core, core six, please core do not six. do core five. I'm I'm so tired of core I five. Hate, I hate I hate all core five, core six, delete eight. Just listen. I, I if know you, you ever uh... if you if you ever hear me say crap like that, unironically, my followers, people who follow me, my family. Friends who listen my to fam- this, my family. <laughs> if y'all ever hear me say some, some, censor it, censor door, it. Please call me. Y'all have my phone number. Please DM me. Uh, my DMs are open to, even though I got a locked account. Uh, that you're being a, like you you. You're being a lame. Like no, I, I've been ranting about this now. You, I'm, I know you've heard me, but the fact that we're still doing the core five thing when Clickapel is the third best player on the team, like, ugh. and he's not, he's not in the core five. If the way that they what talk about they it, talking about it's like Clickapel is they, really good. Like you can't do this anymore. And they, and they might have the number one overall pick. Right. Might be I mean, core seven. I, I just want even for now, even if we assume nothing about the draft, you cannot refer to the Hawks' best players and their core as five guys and not have Clint Capella in it. Clint Capella is good. You traded for, you, you traded, you traded for a good player. Like, Clint Capella is better than Kevin Herter at basketball. He's better than Cam Reddish and DeAndre Hunter at basketball right now. It's not even close. Like, what are we doing? He's part of the core. Anyway, that's my rant for the day. Um, 
<laughs> we nah, can but do- I see I see how you move back past delete eight, but we can, we can we no can delete eight. Back. Trust me, I. I uh, I don't hate it as much as you. I, I'm I'm all for the oh. I'm all for the cute nickname of what it has to be, but uh, we don't we don't have to do this. I, I don't think I blame I, I'm okay the with death it, but... line. Ever since the death lineup, NBA Twitter has just wanted to name constructs. Well, honestly, Helio, this one heliocentric uh, offense. The delete eight thing We've is never really seen it before. I'm, I'm going to give you eight. the. Uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, give you the what, real reason. What, what, what was it? Hampton Five. I'm, I'm Hampton not five. done, Brett. Hampton Five. Oh, the, I'm telling you the real reason about the real reason about about the lead eight. I'm, I'm gonna give you the behind the curtain here as someone who has to write about basketball. I almost said for a living, not for a living, but for a part time living. The real reason why everybody wants to have a cute name like that is so you can just write the cute name in your copy and not have to write the eight teams excluded from the NBA's 22 team bubble in Orlando. That's really the reason. I'm, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced the people uh, whoever came up with come up came up with that same thing as the same thing as the death lineup or the Hamptons Five. It's so you, you don't have to write out the entire. I mean, lineup. but the, the death lineup was natural. The I'm death you- lineup was natural. It it was like nobody nobody just like somebody didn't just like try to brand name it, but someone was like, <laughs> damn, damn, this oh, lineup I know. kills I'm teams you. in the it's fourth okay. quarter. Even though it might be a tad bit overrated if we actually look what was going on, but you know who cares. But anyway, that that team just destroyed other teams. Like the death lineup, yeah, that's a great name, and we've been trying to recapture that magic ever since. With regardless of what it is, Brad, I heliocentric offense. I cannot believe that's a term that is used <laughs> in basketball lexicon as if it's brand new and it's functionally never existed in NBA history. That is some. I am 28 years old, guys. 28. I was man, man, barely old. I was barely conscious child when Michael Jordan was running through the NBA in the 90s. Everything went through Michael Jordan. What? Michael Jordan one season in the 80s before I was born averaged 37 points a game. You're telling me with with that no threes. Was a helocentric offense? With, what with, are y'all with, doing? With, with basically with basically no threes that season as well. Uh, All right, we can move on. I I just want I I wanted to get that off my chest because I feel like everybody wants to be Vinny Goodwill, who just naturally came up with Death Line, but you're not as cool, guys. I'm sorry, you can't fake the funk with me. I am not Hampton as cool Five, as Vinny Goodwill. I promise you that. I can't I believe cool. Hampton Five. We just let that cook. Ugh. No wonder, no wonder nobody liked that Golden State team. Kevin Durant <laughs> ruined basketball. Like, that, all right, that, just terrible. All right, we can move on. We can move on. That was a that was a that was a very on brand aside for us to talk about something like that for five minutes. Um, okay, before we get into some other stuff, including the draft, I have to take a second and tell the people. The Locked On Podcast Network stands against racism and social injustice. That's why we, the hosts, are making personal donations to local and national organizations that are fighting for change. And in the month of June, Locked On is matching the total of all the host donations up to an additional $10,000 to make your own donation along with us. Please visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. That's LockedOnPodcast.com slash Black Lives Matter. Today's episode is also brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever, and there are almost endless reasons to love 
Built Bar. In addition to the incredible taste that Built Bar has, it's perfect for anybody that is trying to be health conscious with the ability to lose or maintain weight while still indulging in a tasty treat. Every bar is low-calorie, low-sugar, high-protein, and high-fiber to make things even better. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate. And unlike some of the competitors in the space, Built Bars are soft and easy to chew. My personal favorite is the Banana Nut Bread flavor, but there are also tons of other great options. In fact, there are 16 amazing flavors to choose from, and they all present their own appeal that everyone can fall in love with. I would recommend Built Bar. And in order to check it out for yourself, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON and get $10 off your first order. That is promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. It's a perfect day to try Built Bar. All right, Tyler. Uh, if it's okay with you, let's go on to the draft. Before because... we go on to the draft, I want to do a bit of a natural lead-in because I Uh-oh. there's one thing about Trey Young that I think would really help. Like I said, alluded to earlier he just has too much on his plate because that's due too much because he's really the only playmaker um you know only real playmaker on the scene in the sense that when he has the ball you know you're going to get a great look everybody else is a, you know kevin Herter is kind of a 50 50 proposition depending on where he gets it on the floor and where his defender is leaning etc cetera, etc cetera. but trey it doesn't kind of matter there's no one way to defend him. And he's just super dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, the biggest weakness of the Hawks scene, as everybody knows, was big man. But I think another one, uh, a bigger one that that didn't get resolved in the offseason, didn't get resolved when they traded for Jeff Teague, is they don't really have another playmaker like Trey Young. Like truly dynamic with the ball in their hands, caliber playmaker like Trey Young is. And so, you know, you look at free agency at the backup free agent market. The only guy is, I mean, I don't think there really is a, is a backup point guard of that caliber who would be willing to play behind Jeff, Trey Young. That's really what it comes um, down to is like there, there is a couple guys who would be fine. It's the problem is the guys who are good enough in that role probably don't want that role um, because and I and I don't like the fit because in general they're all bad defenders or yeah they're all small I mean it's like DJ, DJ Augustine's the guy that I always say like Ugh. he has he has no he has no reason to sign in Atlanta because if you're DJ Augustine and you're 5'11 generously um, you probably can't play with Trey Young very much which means you're signing up in Atlanta to play 12 to 15 minutes a game and there's got to be a, a team out there same with Jeff Teague there's got to be a team out there that's willing to pay you the same or more money and you'll be playing 22 minutes a game instead of 15 and or, I and I like I like Jeff Teague always have going to be one of my fan favorites but he was pretty bad um even in his stint uh maybe he was hurt I don't really know but he didn't have the explosion anymore and his defense is the same laissez-faire that would that drove Bud to commit uh, GM suicide. <laughs> He's just—I um, mean, Jeff is Jeff is not a perfect fit at all. The thing is, it's not. This is where fit comes in because Teague is still, I think, probably like a top forty-five point guard in the league. Like absolutely. he's still he'd still be fine as like a team's super low end starter or a high end backup. But the fit in Atlanta is not ideal because. 
the thing is, I, and you're about to get into this, I know, which is why we're going here. But ideally, we've all said this. Ideally, whoever your backup point guard is, you want to be able to play with Trey. That that's what you want. And if if, if you're going to invest any kind of real money or capital of any sort in that player, they got to be able to play with Trey. Because otherwise, you're paying a 12 minute a game backup, and that doesn't make a lot of sense. Yep, and this is why. I know where you're going. Where, this is where I had my my perception shift, my cognitive shift of who I want the Hawks to draft. Because I think I've said it on this podcast that I wanted the Hawks to draft on Yekio Kongu, or I said it on Twitter, it doesn't matter. Here, uh, I think you're right. you said it here. In large part because he's, he's going to be good. <laughs> and he'd add what he really would add to the, the Hawks' strength, where now the Hawks just throw out high-level, talented big men, 48 minutes. N- n- you know, if, if somebody if somebody puts their hands on their hips, Lloyd Pierce can immediately take them out to get a fresher big man and just keep the train moving that way, and they just pummel teams to death. And that'll win a lot of games in the regular season. In the postseason, that advantage will go away pretty quickly because timeouts are longer, commercials are longer, there are no back-to-backs, et cetera, et cetera. Death just isn't as important. You want your best basketball players play, playing 35 to 40 minutes. Death isn't that much of a factor. Um, but still, ultimately, I feel like Okongwu would be really great on the Hawks, and I still believe that. But I'm uh, I'm also still in on Okongwu um, at a certain point, and despite the lack of a you know quote unquote need there, I think he's just good. So. Yes. Yeah, and I I think it's just he's safe, and the Hawks because they don't really have a need at any position. Like that's, I mean, they believe the wing talents that they have are good and will be better um, next season. They believe in Trey Young, obviously, and they believe that they solidified their big men up to and including. I I I would like to include Scal Labissier uh, in this conversation because I think we'll see. If nothing changes, that he'd be a good, you know, cheap young option who I thought was pretty good for the Blazers this past season. Kind of turned his corner as a professional. And I think I think uh, they do. I think they do want to keep him. I'm not sure. Like they're going to get into a bidding war with anybody, but I think if they no, can get him no. for a cheap, uh, team friendly deal, then they'll want to do that probably. I mean. Like it, somebody like him, or maybe even a Harry Giles, if they want to take a flyer on that. Type now of, we're talking. You know, like I think there's a young big man they can, if it's not Scout, if they don't like what they get seen from Scout during these workouts, which I don't know, I feel like Scout Labissi is a workout monster. But I, you know. I, I will say, I will say this: it could be, it could be Bruno. They, they still, they still very no. much, they still very much believe yeah, in Bruno. Yeah, you know, Bruno, you know. I know, I know. There's a lot of split opinions. I'm just telling you, the Hawks. This is the same regime that really liked Bruno a year ago, and I think that. I know he wasn't like incredible this year or anything, but I, I'm I mean, not sure talent, that he played himself out of it. The talent is there. The right. talent is clearly there. You see it when he dribbles basketball. I think they might want to give Bruno. Obviously, he's right now the third string center and really the fourth string center. If you're talking about Collins playing there, some too. So the uh, opportunities are going to be a little bit limited. But in the event you get an injury or uh, some rest stuff, I think they're going to want to give Bruno some opportunities along the way That's just to fair. see what they have. I just, I just think that. They can do that while also having another young big man yeah. to compete with him. I'm with you. Just for no other reason than put a fire under his belly. 
and they like to oh. have uh, four bigs. I mean, as funny as this is, the the Hawks have, for the most part of Travis Schlenk's regime, they've been carrying four to five centers on the roster. And that may not, that may not seem ideal, team-building-wise, but uh, if you look at the rosters, and we were having this discussion offline, me and a couple other people a couple weeks ago, the Hawks have carried more centers than people want to remember that they have at certain times. And uh, depth there was a weakness this year, quite obviously, and I think they uh, I've already corrected it on purpose, pretty much going heavy into center, but uh, it would not surprise me if they'd sign another guy, to your point. Yeah, um, but that's not the side point. Uh, back make, to make, my, make the claim. Here we go. Put, put like your stake said, in the ground. Like I said, Trey Young, the biggest, the now the biggest weakness, and, and it was really a, it, it was like honestly, Big Man was one A, one B because the offense was just as bad as the defense relative to the NBA. Was that when Trey didn't have the ball or Trey wasn't in the game, the offense was crap. Even with Jeff Teague, it just went from being how is this an NBA product to worse than the NBA. Uh, so it, I don't like, he didn't improve it that much just because, you know, he, he, Jeff T's good at setting the table, but you'd want better. Like to me, I'm, I watch Jeff. I'm like, I just want better from a backup point guard. And that's when I got to the draft. I was like, you know what? Cause I didn't really watch LaMelo ball in the NBL. I haven't really seen much of him. Uh, and my perception of LaMelo was that he's kind of just this cartoon character because of his father, right? Where, <laughs> I mean, he's clearly talented, but, you know, triple Bs all day, all that crap. Like, it, you know, it, it's one of those things where it's like, and then you hear reports that, oh, LaMelo is kind of crap on defense. Jumper's not there kind of you know he, he's an unorthodox style of basketball player i'm like uh i don't know about Lamelo. then i watched him play and the boy is a true genius in basketball brad you should have just i know you've been saying for months now that Lamelo is your number one guy why didn't you tell me how <laughs> incredible he is as a pastor like, his feel at, his, his feel is his really feel really game, impressive his feel for the game is unreal. Like yep. I, you watch a highlight, and you can literally see the thought process of what Lamelo was thinking. Ball's going to somebody shoots it on his team. Ball's in the air. He reads where the ball is going to land based on the uh, based on the shot. Like he knows where it's going to be off the rim, so he beats everybody to the spot. Gets there, jumps, notices. His teammate open in the corner for the three-pointer is by himself, has plenty of time, does a volleyball-style pass, touch pass, into the corner, pocket, three-pointer, perfect shooter pocket, three-pointer, bucket. And I'm like, what the hell is this dude? Like, he is incredible. Like, as, as just as a raw playmaker. And then yep. the thing I really noticed, because what I remember from LaMelo was that he was super skinny, but he was super young back then, like, I guess I didn't realize this. LeVar had LaMelo playing up a oh, lot. Oh, yeah. The whole time. Um, so, like, when you when you see He's LaMelo. He's still right now. Yeah, yeah. When you see when you would have saw LaMelo playing for Chino Hills with Lonzo and LiAngelo. He was a freshman or in eighth grade or, like, yeah. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was super, super young. 
And yeah. he was super skinny. And he's basically been playing up all his life. Cause it's, it he, really is wild when you consider that he's still 18. Like, he'll be 19 in August. But the fact that he was at Chino Hills, was in Lithuania, played at that Spire Academy place, and then just played a season in the NBL, and he's still 18? Like, he's got like a... He has like an international player like profile in that way. Like he's been playing professional basketball essentially for the last two years, two and a half years. Two and two and change. And, and then at Chino Hills, it was basically a traveling circus in a good way, basketball wise. Like they were playing crazy, but like he was playing with Lonzo and a Kongwu in high school as like a fourteen year old ninth grader. Yeah, Okongwu also played. Yeah, I think Okongwu and Lamelo are the same age, and they were. I both think Okongwu was maybe a little bit older, but yeah, they're they're in their they're, they're they were both in the same... super young. Because right. like there, there's, I didn't even know like Mike Smith. Like Mike Smith's had Okongwu on for one of his uh his things uh, that he does for ESPN. Those it's not great, a thing. It's a scouting. It's like a scouting report where he go through live film with. It talks to them. Um, yeah, it's it's, the it's, it's really really good. Them, by the way, feel, check those feedback. out. <laughs> it, it, you get a good you get a good feel for individual players' thought process during certain moments. So, and he was breaking down high school tape of him and Bam Adebayo in high school. And I'm like, what? Like, like Okung was on the younger side, and Bam is like 22. Like, he's a full. You know, so as a freshman, he was going up against Bam as a senior varsity for a team that was getting national attention. So, like, the, the LaMelo was also on that team, and he was also, you know, he was super senior. And that's what I remember him as, because I haven't really seen him, because I kind of just ignored him, um, just because, you know, I, I don't really follow prospects that much, and I didn't really care for the cartoon show, like it. Because that's what it was yeah. uh, for a couple of years. But I didn't realize like, he's like a full inch and a half taller than Lonzo. And he might be bigger right now, like just physically. Like I like his body, like just his build as a as an athlete a lot. I mean, the, the thing that's obvious about the two is that LaMelo is just flat out a better athlete than Lonzo is like. Just from, um, they're both great getting up and down the floor, but Lamelo has stop and start, stop and start athleticism, um, and he has a, he has way more wiggle um, on offense, a better handle, um, and he's got a good touch. Even though the ball didn't go in this season, but like, I I do like the touch with which he both shoots the ball. Um, both on his floaters, his layups, and his three pointers. Like I like his touch. Even like at some point, I I kept watch. I the more I watched, the more I didn't really care if the ball didn't go in or not. Because I'm like, that's not really that important considering how young he is playing in a professional league as the team's best player. And like the NBL, while it's not it's not the Euro leagues or anything like that, those are grown men. And like they were trying, like those guys were not taking it easy on Lamelo. Like they were trying to beat him up, um, and you can see it. And he, you know, he he responded well. Like you know, he responded as if he belonged there. Like as if he wasn't eighteen years old. Like he wasn't a kid. Like he 
he played like an adult in that sense, Eddie. Like, I was just really, like, I was like, man, if LaMelo played at USC with Okongwu, he'd probably be the undisputed number one pick in this draft. I think I feel that. I think he um, is anyway. <laughs> I, I, I but, think that's true, too, but I think I think he'd be getting more, like... It, it, yeah, no, it, I, I agree it, with you. It, it, would be, it would be in everybody's consciousness. It wouldn't be something that all of us, like, because I feel like a lot of us are doing this now, where every, we had so much time and we're so far removed from LeVar Ball that we're all starting to watch LaMelo actual play. And we're like, this dude is special. Like, well, and, I, and we, we've, all seen, we've, we've also seen that for better or worse, um, players that are playing college basketball get the benefit, of the, the benefit of the doubt more than players that are not. In terms of, not from everybody, but in terms of the consensus, the general discussion, between the debate shows and whatever else guys that are not on TV in America every couple nights in the fall and the winter and the spring are not going to get the benefit of the doubt in the way that some other guys will. Like we saw that we've seen that repeatedly in the recent past. Um, and to your point about LaMelo, like, yeah, he's really famous already because of who his family is and the fact that he was, you know, on TV and the reality show and all that stuff. He is famous in a way that, um, no one else in this draft can touch, but he also has not been on TV playing as an adult in the, in the, in America. You have to be someone like you or me that's really trying to watch him play in order to actually have seen him play. The casual fan has not seen the metal play basketball other than a YouTube clip, or maybe they remember something from Chino Hills or something from the reality show, but they have not seen the 18-year-old basketball genius LaMelo play basketball. That just, like most and, people and, have not seen that. And let's go, let's go, because again, his numbers aren't great. He had like a 46% true shooting percentage, but I'm like. Oh yeah, he's not I, like I, without you questions. You watch, but, but like you watch him, I'm like, I, I, I don't care. I don't, I don't care about that. That, that doesn't matter. Like his well, it, is, it's just, it's, it's tough because he is still, I'm not even sure how to describe it because he's not raw in the sense that obviously his basketball IQ and his feel and everything is so good, but there are things about his game that are not going to be good right away. Like he's not going to be efficient as a rookie in the NBA. Like he was not efficient. Like you just said, he was not, he was not efficient in Australia. He's not going to come in and be efficient. And Defensively, it's not always been very good, but the like the tools are silly, and then you see the feel on top of the tools makes you feel better about his floor because that, that was the question I had early, early on in the process was like, you know, I think I could, I think everybody, once you watch him a couple times, like you said, you the ceiling you can definitely he had, see. He, the ceiling is he's one of the best basketball players in the but NBA. I like, but I like, I, I like his floor now. Like I, I don't think it's like. I'm not telling he's going to be a star on his floor, but I think his floor is not as bad as you might think it is because he combines the feel and the passing with the length that he has. If he was 6'3", I would get a little bit more of the fear about him, but he's a legit 6'7 with long arms. Like, he might I don't be think, 6'8". He yeah, I, I don't think he's going to like just not be an NBA player. I, like, I just don't Lonzo, see that happening. Like Lonzo didn't have – like Lonzo didn't have – I don't think – Lonzo has long arms relative to his height. Like I think it's, I, I think Lamelo might have the six ten plus wingspan as well. But he, I mean, Lonzo's such a natural comp because they're related and all that stuff. But even Lonzo, like, I don't think 
I don't know. Lonzo's floor was higher than even I thought it was because of the way that he feels the game. And that translates defensively as well. Like, you know, I think Lonzo's ceiling is not that high um, and kind of never was that high. But at the, the same thing, time... Yeah, the, and I actually wanted to bring up Lonzo because here's the difference. At UCLA, Lonzo was a year older. Like, he was a year older freshman. Like, he was more or less 19 as a and freshman. And he, he also... He's not, he's not the athlete. He's not, the, he's not that, he's like, on-ball creator. He's not. And he's not the... He, he, he never was the scorer. Like, even at UCLA, he was just super efficient. And really, his efficiency came from teams didn't know how to defend his jumper. Like, he had one move as a jump shooter, and he could make that in his sleep. Um, it wasn't until he got to the NBA where teams started shading his, uh, shading him that he had to basically re- – now it's only now that he's become a functional NBA jump shooter. Um, but even then, like, the, the natural ability to put the ball in the hoop he doesn't have like he just doesn't have the create. He doesn't have that level of creation. He's a great passer, and he's a great t- like he's. That doesn't mean he's not a great. He can't be a great role player, but the star potential we all saw in him due to his feel for the game. Lamelo has that because he has the he has the creative tools. He's also just a better athlete, and I like. I'm like he's what we thought. Like I feel like Lamelo in many ways is what we all thought Lonzo was going to be. At his top end, and I feel like Lamelo actually has the ceiling to reach that. Where Lamelo, where where I mean, Lamelo has that has the natural talent to reach that. Where Alonzo didn't just do the factors outside of Alonzo's control. Like he, he's just not going to be. It's just not in his game. Whereas Lamelo takes more after you know Trey Young in the sense that you know he wants to score. Like he 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 wants to be. You know, he not only does he want to be, he has the talent to do so. He can beat, he can functionally beat his man off the dribble, and that's something Lonzo can't do in the half court. Uh, while also combining Lonzo's unreal ability in in, in uh, full court and fast break opportunities. And the thing that convinced me about Lamelo was his rebounding, because he's a great rebounder on both ends. He re like Brett. He reads the ball like. That's a that's a talent. Like it's big men can develop, you know, the ability to be good defensive rebounds by boxing out and all that good stuff. But the way Lamelo just reads the floor when the ball reads the ball when it's in the air, and just gets to the spot before anybody else and grabs it, and then pushes it in the fast break. That's a legit weapon he's going to always have. Like him rebounding, pushing the fast break. Is something that is going to carry him, regardless if the jumper doesn't come together. That's going to carry him throughout in his passing. That's going to carry him, regardless. And he's going to be a good basketball player because of it. Um, because teams need that level of dynamicism, dynamic play. And to me, looking at it from a Hawks perspective, I'm like, Lamelo checks off so many boxes. I was like, oh. It, is it really that he won't be? He probably won't be starting his first couple of years in the NBA. That I don't want. I didn't want the Hawks to draft Lamelo now because like now I'm like, that's dumb. He'll play plenty. Like he'll play plenty alongside Trey Young, and he'll learn. Like, I, is it so bad that you know to put football put in football that Patrick Mahomes possibly the greatest quarterback in NFL history based on his he's going to be that his rookie year he didn't play. And like, it's not like Lamella wouldn't play for the Hawks, but would it be so bad that he learned 
how to be a better basketball player by watching, by seeing the floor, seeing the mistakes that his teammates make more often than not, not being there in crunch time because he's not one of the five best players on the team for the first time in his career. Would that be so bad his first couple of years where he can grow into being a good superstar? Like, cause I, I, I think he could be a superstar in Atlanta, even if he, he's coming off the bench the first couple of years, just because of what I've, what I've all described. Like I, I can't, it can't be stressed the level of ability he has as a, as a playmaker. Like it, yeah. it, it really can't, it really can't. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, I, I'm on record and I, I still think this, that while he's number one for me overall, I could at least try to make a case to not take him if you were the Hawks at number one, just because and I think... Here, and I want, I want to hit at this argument. I want to hit at this argument because that's the same thing both the Suns and the Kings said when they passed on Luka Doncic. But that's silly. They were I mean, like, I think it's different. I, no. I think it's different. I really do. Now, hold on. Let, let, hear me out. Now, again, I'm not saying I wouldn't take Lamo. I'm saying I don't think he has quite the same theoretical value in Atlanta on a team with Trey Young as he does, for instance, in Detroit or New York, where he, in theory, brings the upside career that those teams have that they don't have part of that part of the calculus is look the Hawks already know the Hawks are honestly the other than the Warriors the Hawks are the only team in the lottery that has good odds anyway that actually has their guy already they have a legitimate number one option whereas other teams do not like if I'm the Cavs this is a great this is actually a great a great sort of counter is that if I'm the Cavs I know I just took Back-to-back small guards in the lottery in Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And for me right now, I'm telling you, if I'm the Cavs at number one, I take LaMelo and I don't think about it. And that might might seem crazy because I just took back-to-back point guards or close to point guards, but those guys are not established in the way that Trey Young is, obviously. And I'm a a big proponent of best player available, and I think LaMelo is the best player in the draft. Now, in Atlanta... I still might take Lamella number one overall, um, but I think there's at least a small discount on that because of Trey. And again, like I'm not telling you I wouldn't take him because I think he's still the best player, and I don't love any of the any of the other options, which is what what this, a lot of a lot of this comes down to. If I liked it, for instance, if I liked Anthony Edwards more, if I felt about Edwards the way that some people do, I might have that closer because he's you know if if I if you like him and you know I'm mixed. The natural fit hey, might on. be there, but hold on. Let me let me debunk the natural fit with Anthony. No, I, I know. I'm I'm with you on this. I'm not a big Edwards this guy. This not, I mean, I'm just saying. Okay, here's the thing. I ultimately think that Lamelo, in a vacuum, to take him out of the Hawks, I think Lamelo is a point guard. I really do. Now, does that mean that he can't play with Trey Young? No, absolutely not, because. As we as we said before, he's six seven. That's huge for this conversation. It's different. Like if Lamelo again, if 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 I thought the best player in this draft was a six two point guard, and if if I'm the Hawks, you probably can't take that guy. Agreed. Lamelo is six seven. Like or even by the way, this also kind of applies in a different way to Killian Hayes, at like three or four. If you think Killian Hayes is the best player left. And you're the Hawks. Like I, I took on yesterday's podcast, I took Killian Hayes. At, I took Killian Hayes at four, 
and pe- people were surprised. And I, and I said, look, Killian Hayes is a legit 6'5", 6'6". He can play off-ball defense. He can play at the nail. I'm not telling you it's the best fit in the world, but if I thought he's the best player available, you could take him because he's not 6'2". Like, if you're some, if you're a huge Cole Anthony believer, and I'm not, but if you were all in on Cole Anthony, say, Cole Anthony's like 6'2", the Hawks pretty much can't take that guy. It's the same thing as last year in the draft. Like, I basically just came in and said, all right, cross off Kobe White and cross off Darius Garland. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like, it wasn't because I didn't like those guys at all. It was that those guys are too small to justify a top five, six pick when you already have Trey Young. Like, well, but Co- LaMelo's Kobe, six, seven. Kobe, Kobe, Kobe White. What not he six, five? Why, he's, a- he's like six, three and a half, six, four. I still think he's not huge. It was not as clear cut. I'm just saying. It's not like you no, can cross I, these guys I get, off. I get your point. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, the the thing about Lamelo, and to, this is this is to your point about taking him, is that, you know, sometimes when I when I do a radio hit or do someone else's podcast, and I mention the fact that I I wouldn't I would still take Lamelo in Atlanta, I get like looks I, I get looks or like questions like really those guys well he wouldn't fit with Trey Young, and I'm guilty of this early in the process like I said before, um if you focus on the wrong things I can see why you talk, talk yourself out of it, but in the end. Because Trey Young is a great shooter, and because Lamelo is six seven with long arms and feel, they could play together, and I believe they could play together. I, I really do think that. So and here's here's my thing. Here's my thing with Lamelo, and why I think I think I wouldn't even discount it. I think the Hawks need somebody like Lamelo to play alongside Trey Young to push him off the ball. There, like, there's nobody in free agency. There's nobody in the draft. I don't think there's anybody next year's free agency that can legitimately push Trey Young off the ball. Yeah, you would need. I mean, the and, off-ball <laughs> basketball player that he can be because when Trey Young, what like Trey? This is Trey Young is so damn talented, man. When he wants to do something on offense, he can do it. He can move off a screen, get himself open, and drain it in somebody's face. Like, like he. He has the the basketball skill, the acumen. Like he has all that. Like he's so good at drawing fouls coming off a screen, already. Um, to the point that teams like even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, teams have to be weary because if he catches it and he catches you leaning, it's a three shot foul. But if you're not on his hip and you just give him the open catch and shoot jumper, it's an automatic three pointer. Like he can do that. Like you see it in you see it in spurts where you'll see him give the ball up. Curl like just sprint to the corner, guy throws it back, automatic. And it's like he he has the basketball skill to do that. But what he what the team does not have, even if even if they decide to give John Collins more more possessions, more opportunities, all that good stuff, I still don't think they have that that second guy or that guy who can really push Trey to be like, all right, Trey. You're not going to get the ball, but we're going to need you to move around to to like move around as if you're Steph Curry for this possession. Like, there's nobody on that on this team that can do that, and that's why I feel like Lamelo can unlock that aspect of Trey Young's game to make him an even better basketball player. Like, you're not taking possessions away from Trey Young. Well, Trey Young's usage go down if they go with Lamelo, and Lamelo reaches his potential absolutely. But he'll be a better basketball player. He'll be a more sustainable basketball player where they're not asking him to do everything on offense, where they got somebody who can quote unquote share the load and they can learn to work off each other. Cause 
I mean, it's another thing I saw with LaMelo. I like LaMelo's movement off the ball when, when he does it. Like, I'm like, man, he could he could probably, if he, if he works on his jumper, he'd probably be a great shooter off the screens because just the that, way he moves off the ball. Like, yeah, that, the that, that, that goes back to his, like, ball. overall feel, too. I mean, that's something that, I mean, that's something Lonzo, and again, I don't, I, I feel bad because you don't have to cop him to Lonzo, and I, there are similarities there. It's a natural you, comp. They play right. so they they really do play similar. And that's why I'm saying it. Ways. But the thing is, like Lonzo has, you know, the the question with Lonzo has always been his jump shot. This this year it went in, um, which is good. Um, but you can see with Lonzo, like he knows what to do off the ball. Like I think Lamelo, we haven't seen him do it as much because uh, we just haven't seen the opportunity of that. But I do think that. Again, to partner him with Trey Young, if his jumper comes along, and that's that's probably the, actually that's the only question that I have about Lamelo offensively is his jump shot. Um, and if, if that if that hits at a reasonable level, he'll be an off ball threat too. I mean, the only way it doesn't work offensively off the ball is if he is if he can't shoot, and that's where you might get into some problems in that partnership with Trey Young. Is that if Lamelo is not going to be a a average or better shooter, then he's got to be on the ball. And then you're talking about maybe your value proposition is a little bit off because that way, you know, if eventually Trey is still so good on the ball that you want him to be on the ball a lot because he's awesome at it. Um, he does have off ball appeal, obviously, as we talked about ad nauseum on this podcast and other places. He has off ball appeal, but in the end, Trey Young is still exquisite on the ball. So that needs to be his primary role. At the same time, if LaMelo can shoot it at a reasonable level, if you believe that, then He's even stronger as number one pl- number one pr- player in the class, and it would to your I I, I know how we, how you feel about this. I'm assuming you think he, that he'll be able to shoot because if you if you feel that strongly about him being the Hawks' clear choice if they have an opportunity to get him, I'm assuming that means you think he can shoot long term. I like the raw the raw, the raw touch he has on his floaters indicates to me that he's going to be a, a a good shooter, possibly even a great one due to his size. If that um, happens, I, then sign. I mean, I, if that I, happens, then it's I mean, a slam dunk. <laughs> I mean, because like Lonzo, we're going back to Lonzo. Lonzo doesn't have the touch, right? L- the ball didn't go in for Lamelo because he's weak. Like I, I'm, he's not physically strong. Like he doesn't, he's not strong. Like, and I think that's something that's kind of noticeable. Like he's just not. He needs to work on his body, but like he's 18. Like, I, you know, he's going to fill out. And he's going to get stronger naturally, but I just the natural touch he has both with his layups and his floaters and when his shot, when he has his feet set and he's straight up and down catch and shoot, like the ball, it looks good out of his hand. Like it's not where compare it to say like Anthony Edwards, Edwards shoots the basketball in a lot of ways that, you know, LeBron James shoots the basketball where it goes in, but it's not, it's not natural touch, right? It's like, I, I don't know how to describe it in like technical terms because I'm not, you know, I'm not some scout, but you watch Edwards. It's not a net like it's you watch Anthony Edwards shoot, even though Anthony Edwards was objectionably a much better shooter than the Mellow Ball was this season. And they're the same age. Like I and he, he like Edwards does get, um, you know, you know, Edwards. It, it just looks like he's muscling it in to me. I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of the more I watch Edwards, the more I didn't like a lot of what I saw, um, yeah. particularly on what he does well. 
that's actually the uh i found that not just i've had that same thought and i found that people that um evaluate the draft um in a major way the more they watch edwards generally they they like less and a part of that could be just be fatigue and this this class will wear you out in terms of <laughs> the frustration levels on a lot of these guys but uh edwards had some really bad tape in college like if yeah, you want to see if you if you want to see the good stuff you you can find it um and the flashes are really impressive and he's obviously this six five power athlete the tools are all there but uh there's some really bad tape in there so i i think uh in general if you polled people you might uh get a response that lamello was more of a boom bust guy than edwards and i don't agree with that i think edwards is much more of a boom bust guy than lamello is i, I think, think lamello is a lot more- safer I think with more times people are going to come around to even that. It's, I, I think ultimately with all this time, people are just going to come around to the fact that LaMelo is just a more talented basketball well, player because that's the thing. I, I watched Edwards. I mean, he was the point guard for the Georgia Bulldogs. And he was much. bad at it. Yeah. He was bad at it. And, th- and I really didn't like his feel for the game. No, his like, his if, basketball if Edwards, IQ is, is is a significant question to me on both Edwards, ends of the floor. If Edwards were just purely a better rebounder, I'd like him a lot more because when he rebounds the ball and pushes the ball in transition, he's truly a great basketball player. Like that's where he excels. He does it so little because he's so inattentive. Like he, I hate his defense, like his defensive stance. Like I'm. I'm watching this game against Valdosta State, Brad, and he's getting cooked by some Valdosta State basketball player. I don't know his name. First <laughs> possession, just beats him straight off the dribble. No pick, no screen, no nothing. Just beats him. And I'm like, what the hell? And then I watch in this 10-minute stretch of basketball, him get backdoored four times. In no, one in ten minutes, it's and I'm uh, like it's maddening. And then on offense, on offense, like he was making a shot, but he wasn't doing anything. Like he he was playing basketball as if as if it was rec league. And I'm like, okay, is is this an effort thing with him? What's going on? Because I'm like, how did did Tom Crean ask for a refund on whatever you know? <laughs> Well, like I'm, I'm, because I'm, 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 I'm like, this is Valdosta State. One well, part Edwards, here's the one thing: one of the best, one of the best high school recruits out of the state of Georgia in the well, last he, what ten years. I was gonna say he, this, he, part of the part of the thing with Edwards. And it's not, is, it's not just that game because I, I watch, I watch some of his high school. No, games. it's not. And pa- part watch, of the thing with Edwards, the game between him and McEachern, Accor, um, Isaac Accor was eating them up, and I'm like, what? This, this is the number one basketball player that everybody's been talking about for the past well, three years in my city well <laughs> the thing is about okay here's the thing about for edwards. real the 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 situation at georgia was not uh, was objectively not great for him I, I will give i will give him that it was not great but you're you're uh, for me you're doing a lot of squinting to tell me that that was all a situation that his shot selection and his basketball iq issues like, yes, I actually do think that, um, and I made this point before, and uh, I don't want to keep, I don't want to go too long here, but I want to make sure that I ask you this too. I've made the point, like, I'd be more worried about Edwards somewhere else where they put, like, if you want to, if you're a team 
and you draft Edwards at number one or number two, and he's like your guy on the perimeter, that would terrify me. So if I'm Edwards' agent, if I'm Edwards, other than wanting to stay home, I would love to have him in Atlanta. Um, well, yeah, that's why he signed with uh, Trey Young and Cam Reddish's agency. Yeah, but, like, but I mean, even even beyond that, I, I think basketball wise, the best thing that could happen to Cam Reddish, not to Cam Reddish, to Anthony Edwards, is to not be the guy. If he was playing next to Troy Young or next to Steph Curry, like someone that's not him as a number one option, that's his best chance for me to to have him succeed. If you draft him, if you're Detroit or if you're New York and you take him and he's he's now your guy on the perimeter, that's not going to go well, I don't think. I think he needs to be a guy who feeds off other things and becomes this great cutter and like becomes like a number like a legit number two, number three option for you. And, I and think that's not cut, sexy. The cutting, number two the, cutting as, the cutting aspect is pretty good. Yeah, with him, just the the few times you do see it, like, and he's a great athlete. I mean, he's, he's a legit great athlete, power athlete. And like Trey Young would, he would very much benefit from playing alongside Trey Young and Kevin Herter in particular. Yep. Their spacing, where it's just a one dribble move, he gets to the rim if he's consistent. But the thing is, is that Lloyd Pierce would have to put that boy's feet to the fire at all times. Oh yeah, I mean like, that you you can't take pull up jumpers. That's not, I you know I'm like I don't I don't care, I don't care that that's a feature of your game because that needs to go away. No, it his his shot selection the, is so bad. It's not it's right, so bad. Like to me, I, this this is what I envision his first couple years in Atlanta. He's coming off the bench. One, two. Lloyd Pierce is telling him, and like the Hawks build a team to the point that. If he doesn't bring it on defense, he just won't play. And it'd be like, whoa, the Hawks took the number one or number two pick on Anthony Edwards and he's not playing? Yeah, because what he's shown in college is terrible. Like, he physically should not let – nobody should be able to get by him physically, athletically. Nobody. That should never have – I should never see – like, an NBA, if I'm lawyer, I'm like, you're guarding point guards, you better not get screened. You better be in these dudes' chest for as many minutes as you're going to be able to play because if you're not. And he also he also got, should gets the rim too. That's the thing that's so yeah, maddening yeah, about yeah. Anthony Edwards. Yeah, that that you're gonna you're gonna play your butt on defense. Then you're gonna go after every rebound. Like you're gonna try to get the defensive rebound so you can push the fast break and be a truly transcendent player because I think that's where he. Like to me, his upside is Victor Oladipo, Russell Westbrook. Yeah. I get the ball in transition. I'm just a better athlete than everybody else on the floor. I'm taking it to the hole every time. I don't care. I'm getting to the free throw line. Like he, like his first couple of years, he better be lead, leading the NBA in charges, charges taken against them. Like, cause I, I'll, I'll live with that. I'm not living, Brad. I'm not watching. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is like this is not even about talent because talent is clear there. But like, I'm not about to sit here and watch some generation Zer. All right. Some generation Z are coming to this team and p- pull up from 32 feet like he's Trey Young when he doesn't have the shooting talent. Like, I look, I like, look forward, I look forward to this. Um, like that, that, that the, I, you know, I'm watching. I'm like, ooh, the Josh Smith vibes are so strong with this, so strong with him as a player. They're so strong, Brad, because there's a certain way he should be playing, and he's not playing that way because for whatever reason he thinks he's a great shooter. And, like, the Hawks got to break that down first because I think he can be a good off-the-catch shooter. I think 
He has the talent for that, clearly. Off the dribble, take that away from him. As in, like, you don't have that. Teams are backing off of you because they want you to take this jump shot. You're not taking this jumper, all right? Not not. You take it, you come off the bench. That's why we got Brandon Goodwin, right? <laughs> Brandon, Good- Brandon Goodwin is going to be taking eating up all your minutes. Norcross is all baby. your money, all your shine. Because we need, because we're trying to make the playoffs. We don't have time. We don't have time to baby. Like it's got to be such. Lloyd's got to be such a hard ass with this. With 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 him, and I, like I hate, I hate that you know it. It'd be miserable for him as a player. I would imagine it's not what he'd think he'd be coming into the NBA. But like for him to get to his optimal outcome, that's what the Hawks would have to do. And I feel like, whereas with Lamelo. Hell, man! Like I, I, you know, I watch some clips of him on defense. I'm like, it's not, you know, it's, it's no, it's work it. with it. It's not bad. Like it's not bad. It's like he doesn't know. Like it's like, I mean, it also it helps that you know in the NBL, he's playing with adults who are actually telling him what he should be doing here, what he should be doing there, and when he executes, he looks pretty good, and he he's got good defensive instincts. He's he's a ball hawk. He Goes after the basketball. He's intensive sometimes. A lot of it is just, one, he's super weak. So he's too easy to be screened. In, in particular, he's too easy to be held and then not be able to draw the foul because he's too weak to get away from the guy. Um, and, you know, he just there's just stuff he doesn't know as a basketball player because he's so, like, you know, he's playing professionals. And, like, professional basketball is so much different than what he's used to on the amateur level and what he was playing which wasn't really that structured basketball. It's like I I'm I think I think LaMelo is going to be a fairly good defender in the NBA in time. Um just one because he's going to be a great defensive rebounder from his position. I think that's I think that's going to happen and that that does help a lot. And then two like his off-ball defense, I think he has a chance to be really good like his brother. Like, I, I really do. Like, yeah, that that's the plus. And, and I, I believe that as well, just to feel-wise. Like, the defensive tape is not great on the mellow, and that it, it does worry me, and that was originally my worry, especially when you're pairing with Trey Young. But but I do think that at least you have I, the off-ball stuff. And the I think his off-ball defense is going to be good. Um, on-ball is an open question. And it's certainly possible that that might scare somebody off pairing him with Trey Young. It wouldn't scare yeah, me off, but I get it. It wouldn't I, I scare me it. off because I think, I think he can get there on the ball, too. He has the talent to do it. It's just... Well, and you, you also know, have Cam Reddish, which helps. Yeah, but but my thing is with LaMelo, <laughs> he's like, again, it goes back to he's young and he's playing against professionals. Yep. You know, no, the, the, like, the comp that, I mean, the, I, I don't as, care as funny as this is, like, right he, now. no, as funny as this is, it's not like he was playing in the league that Alexa Pokashevsky is playing in, like he, he was playing it's better competition than Anthony Edwards was like, overall. Yeah, I'm, uh, th- that's my thing. I, and this is, this is really what broke it. The tie. Like I, I sound like I'm super down. I'd probably take Edwards. If he's there. At that, that was my two. last question to you before we get out of here. I still we're, take we're him, but, so I, I, but, but like he, he, he frustrates me and I haven't, I've, I haven't seen a full game. Of him. Like he, he drives me crazy, but the talent is just so overwhelming. That I can like, I, I think I take on on Kongwu and go with that route because for my sanity, like I I feel safer. But if I'm a GM, I have to draft from my head and be like, you know, if Edward pans out, 
he's going to be a killer on defense and like nobody's going to be able to stop him getting to the rim with yeah. the type of shooting talent that we have on this team. I mean, we'll, like, I'd be stupid to not take him. We'll have to we'll have to talk again before the lottery and obviously if the Hawks end up landing at 5 or 6, this is going to be irrelevant. Well, see, this we'll is the to... time Brad, this is the time to talk about these two guys cuz oh, now that I want the Hawks to get the number 1 overall pick, they're not going to win it. Yeah. Before, I was dreading it because I was like, are they really going to take Edwards and, you know, go through all this this mental trauma that we're all going to face when he's taking eight pull-up jumpers coming off the bench like he's Lou Williams? <laughs> I'm not looking forward to that. So All these, uh, all now, these Georgia but, high school but prospects. Then, then I watch, you know, I watch a lot of tape of LaMelo and it's like a soothing presence to my heart and my soul. I'm like... Yeah, we win number one pick. Draft Lamelo. Uh, James you, Harden. <laughs> you know, James Harden off the bench. Like you, you heard it here first, work. folks. Uh, if you're not convinced by now, um, you won't be convinced because that was a, a long time of us talking about Lamelo Ball in very favorable terms. Um, when as you keep watching, we'll. Uh, We'll talk more, because uh, it's uh, ironically the lottery is still the lottery is still two plus months away, so we'll probably have at least one more visit on this podcast uh, before the lottery, and then we'll have to reassess after the lottery. But I'm glad we got to talk about this stuff because uh, I was waiting for your Lamelo takes for like a week now, and uh, I had to I had to reschedule. So we uh, I made you hold it even longer, and I appreciate your uh, your patience. <laughs> yeah, no problem, Brad. I'm glad to I'm glad to try to tell the world that man. If his if Lavar Ball never existed, or Lavar Ball, you know, wasn't a thing in the national conscience, he'd be the no doubt number one overall pick. There'd be no drama, and like his, just what a fascinating career arc this level of talent went through. Probably the first time this has ever happened for an American that talented ever. Like. Pretty wild, but uh, yeah. There you go. Uh, well, Tyler, thank you as always, my friend. Uh, anything to uh, get out there? I know people are, uh, I'm sure, following you on Twitter for during this during this time period. But please plug yourself. I know you. I know you're locked up, but you will approve uh, some people, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, you can follow me at Jonesy Two X Four. Yeah, I am a locked account, so it might take me a while to make sure you're not a bot to investigate um, you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, but um. Or, you know, one of my employers. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, so it might take a while, but I, I, I will eventually add you so that you can see my takes on video see games and anime. Um, I, I, I can't not end this pod without mentioning that domestic girlfriend like for brad just you you don't know what i'm talking about but i don't but that's okay possibly one of the wildest stories of all time absolute cocaine flow from from an uh a writer it's incredible that that plot ended that way with with apparently the editors just also taking cocaine at the same time. Like, I know it's probably a bad take for me to accuse somebody of doing that, but like, it's one of the wildest ends to a story you're ever going to see. So if you want to, if you want to see my, my diagram of that, you know, you know, I'm not really a particular fan of that series. Uh, you can follow me at Jonesy2x4, but right now I'm, you know, in quarantine and 
watching stuff. But uh, yeah, follow me there. Follow this man, Tyler. You'll be back again soon whenever I can uh, beg you to come back on. And I really appreciate all the time today. Uh, as for everybody else, please subscribe to the podcast. Check us out. Follow uh, ATL and 29 as well, where Tyler is a frequent guest or co-host or however you want to say that. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back later on in a week.